How's it going, everyone? Thank you, Nick, for uh, leading that uh, worship time. That was awesome. And thank you, team, for, for doing that. And uh, we're going to go and ahead and uh, <clears throat> jump into Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. And uh, it's kind of a special day. It's a fun day. Uh, I got all my family here, so that's really fun. Uh, we got the golf scramble coming up. Uh, it's really fun to see all of our K through third graders in here. Uh, so I would expect it to get a little wild. Um, so just let the distractions slide. Let them have fun. Okay, it's not a big deal. They're allowed to be with us. Uh, so it's good to see you all here. I'm also excited to see the Johnsons, Andy and JC and Bella and Gwen and Lucy. Uh, so good to have you guys back with us. If you guys don't know, um, they are our mission partners. They're actually sent from this church. Uh, they're missionaries in Germany, and we love them deeply, and we're always glad whenever we get to share and worship with them. So I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, with that being said, I want to invite Peyton up here. He's going to read us our passage today in verse 28. So if you are able, would you stand for the reading of God's word this morning? Good morning, everybody. Uh, if you have a blue Bible, it is page 816. It's in the seat back in front of you. And Ephesians 4.28 says, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Awesome. Thank you, Peyton. Let's pray. Our Lord, we're so grateful um, that you've met us here um, today already, God. We're so grateful for the way that you've been working among us, that you've, uh, the ways that you've worked in our previous services, and the way that you've just used your word already to move in our lives. Uh, we're grateful for the worship experience to come together uh, to sing God. It's just invaluable uh, to do these things together. So we're grateful for the unity among us. We ask now that as a unified church, uh, that we would uh, join in your word, that you would speak to us. God, that you would use your word to compel and move us in the way that you would have us go uh, as we talk about this wonderful topic of work. Lord, use your word to speak to us. Use your spirit uh, to guide us and direct us where we need to go. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Have you ever got caught doing something um, that distracted you from doing real work, right? You get distracted by doing lesser things while there's real good work that should be going on. Anybody been there? So when I was uh, uh, in college early on, um, I lived in a house, a really, really terrible house, with, with uh, two guys, two friends of mine, Brad and Isaac. The first house we lived in, there were mushrooms growing in the uh, like bathroom. Like, it was gross. Um, and the guy actually sold that house out from under us to ISU, and they leveled it while we still had a bunch of clothes and workout equipment in the basement. So we did not get those back. That was just a bad situation all over. The next house we lived in, uh, it was a two-bedroom house, and so I took one room, Brad took the other, and Isaac lived on a couch in our living room and put all of his clothes in my room. And so we made it work. It was a fun time. A lot of, you know, we were just big kids being big kids. And so that was pretty much uh, how it went. But I have one fun memory uh, from that time. I was sleeping <clears throat> on my bed, and in the middle of the night, I felt something. And so I, I woke up, and there's this rat looking at me. I mean, we made eye contact, and the thing was huge. I'm used to dealing with mice, <clears throat> right? But this one was like, a, it was like a mouse, but the size of a puppy. And so I, I've never dealt with one of those before. So I flipped out, popped it off, and it skittered off into the wall somewhere. Um, and so he declared war, and we took him up on it. Uh, and eventually what happened is we had it cornered in our kitchen, right? We had the, uh, we had the exits, uh, or at least the, the doorways blocked off. We had it in our kitchen. The only problem was that we had this 
kitchen nook. It wasn't big enough to really do anything. So what we did is we would stack up our cereal boxes and soda boxes in there, like Tetris style, just thinking once we filled up the nook, we would just dive into it. Like I said, big kids. Um, and so that's, that was our plan. So what happened uh, is that we started chasing this rat. It went into the cardboard, and somebody actually got a, picture, a, photo, uh, 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 a video of it. I can't remember. Was it you, Travis? Are you in here? Somebody got a video of it, um, and what it was was just three big kids with trash bags trying to catch this thing, cardboard flying everywhere. We're jumping around screaming like little kids because it's a rat, right? And it's just, it, it was just a, it was a scene, right? A big scene. Well, we eventually caught the rat, right? Praise the Lord. Caught the rat, but then we had to do something about it, right? Um, so I was going to take it out in the trash bag and just hit it against the garage wall. That was my plan to try to kill this thing. But if you know me, I, I could watch a bird get hit by a car and shed a tear. Like that hunting and that kind of stuff is not my thing. And so I couldn't, my, I couldn't get myself to do it. And so I just let it go. <clears throat> at, the, at the back of our backyard, to, to say, but like I still just let it go. Uh, I let it go, it skittered around, and I hopped and screamed a few more times. Uh, and then I looked into the neighbor's backyard, which was butted up against mine, and the guy, the, our neighbor's just sitting there in his lawn chair, totally unentertained, by the way. Now, if I was watching this, I, think it, I would think it would be hilarious. But he's not entertained at all, right? So I tried to cover my tracks, and I said, we just found a rat in our house. And he said, okay, how about you mow your yard? <laughs> and I looked down, and our grass was like... Knee high, no kidding. We hadn't mowed the yard since we moved in. And not long after that, we had those notices on our door that tell you you mow the yard or you're going to be fined. Um, and so, that to say, I know full well what it's like to get caught chasing rats when there's actually literal good things that need to be going on. And I wish this was the last time that I got caught use doing useless work whenever there was real work to be done, but that wasn't the last time. It, won't be, uh, certainly wasn't the first time, won't be the last time, right? And that's what's on the table today, is useless work versus real work. Useless work versus real work. And to get real serious real fast, right, I hope you know that the enemy, the devil, loves to distract people by getting them consumed in the work of lesser things, leaving the greater work undone. You can be consumed doing good work, when the better work, the greater work, is left undone. He loves to get us in that place. You guys agree with that? And he does it uh, so often by doing what he usually does, which is distorting what God had created for our flourishing so that we fall and fumble. Right? So just a little history of work. God created the heavens and the earth. And then the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2 that by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing so on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Did you know God's a worker? He's a worker. We've been made in the image of God. So you better believe that there's a, a, a place of work that has actually been handed to us since we are made in his image. But it goes on. Genesis chapter 2 verse 5 says that no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. So God worked, putting everything in place, and yet things weren't happening as good as they could because there was nobody working the ground. And so what did he do? He created workers. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 says that the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Right? This is the origin of work. 
perfect in all of its ways, where there is great purpose and fulfillment in the work that God had assigned man to do. It's in the nature of our humanity. It's getting back to the crux of who we are in God to work and to find fulfillment in it. But listen, that's exactly where Satan and sin have distorted this for us. Right? At, Satan came in. He deceived Adam and Eve into sin. And as a result, God curses the ground because of the man. And God says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. And many of you said, amen, I hate my job, right? Because now work for so many of us is a matter of toil and burden and heartache even. But listen, work is not unredeemable because of the work of Jesus Christ. Even something like a terrible job and, and bad work, it is all redeemable because of Jesus Christ and the work that he, that he did. He came, he defeated the curse of sin and death. He recognizes our toil and promises that in him, our work can serve the purpose that it was tended to, which is what? To worship God. Work to worship God. Because work is what he told us to do, it's what he assigned us to do, and when we work, we understand the Imago Dei better, that we've been made in the image of God, because God is a worker, and he gave this to us. And so I want to ask a question, and for many of us, honestly, this question might be uh, the ending of of the sermon for you today. You might not get past this question, because it's a good question, right? Is your work a means of worship for you? Do you wake up daily? ready to put your hands to something, and you go to earn that paycheck, is that a part of your worship experience to God? It can be, and it should be, and it's what we're called to in Ephesians chapter 4. So in chapter 4, we've been noticing this pattern that Paul uses to talk about healthy Christian living and conduct. And I want to give you this disclaimer at the start. We don't believe that you need to change your behavior to become a follower of Jesus Christ. But the Bible is also very overt that if you are a follower of Christ, that it will have dramatic impact on your behavior and your conduct and your attitude, right? And so the pattern that Paul points out to us is that there's something to take off and something to put on, right? Think of clothing, something to to take off, to pull out of your living, and then something to replace it with, something that's good and righteous and holy. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24, he says it for us in a nutshell, When he says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So that's what we've been looking at the past few weeks. The Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, telling us to take something off and to put something on. In this context, he tells us to take off stealing so that we can put on work. Stealing and work. Okay, so let's look at verse 28. Let's focus on the stealing part for a second. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. Pretty simple, right? Don't really need to continue about that, but we will. Okay, it's pretty clear. Literally, what he's saying here is don't be a klepto. Like literally, in the Greek, that's the word, klepto. That's what he's saying there. Don't steal, right? Don't be a klepto. Don't be addicted to this. Don't don't do this. 
right? So there's three characteristics of stealing that I want us to lift up very briefly uh, right now as we talk about stealing, okay? Stealing, first of all, is this, and we all know this. It's taking and consuming what is not yours. You have, there's that thing that you want, and so you grab it and take it, but it, it belongs to someone else, and you use it even though it was for someone else to use. That is stealing, right? Pretty, pretty level stuff, right? It doesn't sound too, too bad, but there's a reason that it's an eighth commandment. Remember that? It makes the Ten Commandments. There's, there's a magnitude uh, that, uh, that stealing brings when a lot of times it's easy for us to just shrug off as if it's not a big deal, right? So let's make another acknowledgement here. It's taking and consuming what isn't yours, but it also very often is most likely, most likely an Imago Dei issue, Imago Dei is Latin for being made in the image of Christ. We already saw how it can be one, uh, how how the issue can take effect in one way, right? That we are made in the image of God, but when we shrug that off and we steal from others, then we're losing the Imago Dei with ourselves, understanding that we are created in the image of God. But when we steal, usually there's collateral damage. There's somebody that you are devaluing. There's somebody that you are misusing because to steal something means you're taking it from someone else. And so not only do you struggle with being made in the image of God yourself, you're not seeing other people that way either. Does that make sense? It's an Imago Dei issue. And listen, we're not just talking about physical things here. Stealing money and goods and that kind of stuff, certainly that's an Imago Dei issue. But it goes far deeper than that, you know. Young men who are who try to get as far as they can in that relationship with that special person. It's very possible that you're a, you're a purity or innocence thief. Young women who, who dress to be seen, even lusted after, and then they throw a fit when sinful men act naturally to what they see, you're stealing the innocence of men. Passive parents who rob their children of stability and love. Or maybe you're just, you just think it's hilarious when your friends do really dumb, sinful things, and so you encourage it and you egg it on. Listen, you're stealing their innocence, right? All of the stuff that we're going to talk about today, it has physical applications, but also very spiritual applications as well. Thirdly, what we need to know about stealing is that it's the easy way. Anybody can do it, right? And when does God call us to something that everyone else does? Rarely. Right? It's the, it's the easy way. In the Bible, it calls it the wide road that leads to destruction. It's easy. It's where the masses are. It's not like the narrow road that leads to life, but it's narrow for a reason. Why? Not many people are ready to jump on it because it's hard. Work isn't easy. It's actually very hard. It's sacrificial. It's costly. We're talking about work being worshipped. Think about uh, um, the, the God's people through history. Right? Whenever they mess this up and they take the easy way in regards to their worship, they bring their lame cattle for sacrifices. They worship the Lord without doing any real work of repentance. How does God treat this form of worship? He rejects it, right? He rejects it. It, it, it turns into a useless act. Sometimes wor- worship is intentionally inconvenient because it reveals revo- devotion. Work in the way that God created was never an easy prospect, but it's always fulfilling and satisfying and can be for us, even if it is exhausting, right? You know that feeling? Working really hard, you put your hands to something useful, and it's good, and, and, and you 
really believe that it was part of your worship, and so you go home and you sit down at the dinner table with your kids after you take a shower and you watch a movie and you have a sweet tea in your hand, you know, because you put in a good hard day's work, and now you get to rest in it, in the fulfillment of it, right? That's, that's a godly feeling because you worked. You wore yourself out for something wonderful. That's a godly feeling, right? And we need to press into those feelings even more. But listen, stealing is the thing that we are to take off but we're supposed to put on something else, and that's work. Ephesians chapter 4, 28. Uh, Let's read the whole thing again. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Another reason we're so convinced that work is not always easy because in his actual language, Paul implies the nature of work. This word here in the Greek uh, for work literally means to grow tired or weary. And at the core, right, at, the, at the, uh, uh, the root of this word literally means to cut or to mourn. Does that sound fun or easy to you? There's nothing about what Paul's saying here that says work is easy, work is fun. It, it's not there. He uses language to, to imply strongly the other way. But he understands that whenever we work in this way, that there's so much more that God has for us in that. And so there's four aspects of work here that he kind of helps us in our definition of work. Four aspects of work that should define the Christian life. And the first is this. You work with your hands. Work with your hands. Physically and in all other ways. Work with your hands, right? It's not your own, it is your own doing. It's your own volition. It's your own will. It's the opposite of laziness. By the way, there's great danger in laziness, isn't there? Apathy. I think about uh, David and Bathsheba. We were talking about this this past Wednesday, how David was just climbing, climbing, and climbing. He, he was conquering armies. And God was establishing his kingdom under him. God was speaking to him. So he's at this spiritual height, right? And, and physical, really. Just his kingdom is being built, and God is blessing him. And then in chapter 11 of 2 Samuel, something catastrophic happens that David really never fully recovers from. He wanders on to his roof to see a woman bathing. By the way, she was bathing at the appropriate time. But there's something weird about his timing, right? This is what the Bible says. One evening, David got up from his bed. Anything weird about that to you? Is it possible that David got so comfortable in God's blessing and favor and all of his success and wealth that he just started sleeping during the day so that he's actually getting up in the evening. And not only that, culturally, it was normal for people to bathe in this way. Isn't it possible that David went out looking for this? Lazy can be a dangerous thing. Don't get too comfortable to not take your sin seriously. I often think that it's great counsel for some who are in the thralls of lust or even depression to put their hands to something on behalf of someone else. Many people I encounter, not all, but many who struggle with such things, they have no sense of work as worship. Their minds are consumed with things that they want or things that they don't have, and they would greatly benefit putting their minds and hands to use on behalf of someone else and with godly intent. With godly intent. Why? Because if you do things with godly intent, it's a sure way of knowing that your work will be useful. It will be useful. And that's the next thing we're going to acknowledge here. He says, but you must work doing something useful with your own hands. 
There's plenty of people with busy hands and empty purpose. Plenty of people with big bank accounts, but they're spiritually destitute. You're chasing rats. You're distracted trying to find your full sense of pride and worth in things that will never satisfy. Listen, only whenever your will and your intent align with God's, that your work becomes something useful, even at an eternal level. Whether that be doing the dishes at home while watching the kids or working your secular job for a secular paycheck or or doing your homework for your teachers. You do it with godly intent and it will be useful and even at an eternal level, right? It would be silly to get through a a sermon on work and not make uh, acknowledgement of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And when your work is not filled with godly intent and for the purpose, purpose of him, then even your most religious acts can become useless for you. Whether you're working in the nursery or playing on the praise team or preaching or going on a mission trip or doing a service project, if you're not doing these things for the Lord, then the heights of these experiences will be short-lived and you'll probably be burned out in a matter of months. Right? Do something useful. Why? So that you have something. That's what he says here. Must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something. And I want to go ahead and just kind of like, I heard one pastor do this for me, and so I want to give this to you, right? You just relieve me to know that it is okay to work for a reward. It's okay to reap what you sow. A lot of times Christians think that this isn't acceptable, right? I do what I do for the Lord, and I don't expect anything in return, but we can all agree that's not right, right? He gave us a hope so we can count on it. He gave us salvation and blessing and a reward so we can rely on it, so we can pursue it. Listen to the words of Paul. Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only me, but also all who have longed for his appearing. We work for the Lord and we also work for the hope that the Lord assures us. Right? Amen for that. But there's two clarifying statements I want to say in regard to that. First of all, you work for the Lord. He gives you stuff. You never earned it. Let's just be clear about that. We don't earn anything from the Lord because we don't, he doesn't owe us anything. Right? Rather, when we work as unto the Lord, we find ourselves deeper in his grace. By doing God's work, we experience his grace even more. The bigger question is less about the reward and more about this. What are you going to do with it? Your hard work, useful work with your hands. What do you do with it? Well, he tells us what to do with it, doesn't he? That they may have something to share with those in need. Have something to share with those in need. You're working with your hands. You're putting it to useful. or It's useful, right? So you have something. The bigger question is this, what are you going to do with it? And your answer will reveal to you whether you're serving his kingdom or serving your own. Does your work worship him by building his kingdom? Because whenever you work with your hands usefully and you get something, you use it for him because it's his anyways. Or do you just build up your storehouses? Does it go to build your own kingdom? So to unpack this a little more, I want to look at a few examples. 
By the way, this, we're going to talk about the physical, but we're going to get to the spiritual in a second. Okay? You're a regular working guy working a regular job for a regular paycheck. <coughs> Excuse me. And in your mind, the paycheck's not big enough. Right? Ask yourself this question. This is a proper question for you to ask. Is your work to build your kingdom or his? You're working with your hands. It's useful, right? It contributes to society somehow. So as a result, you get a paycheck, which I'm assuming you're going to use to pay on your house and your cars and your comforts and your stabilities and your privileges. How do you share these things with people who need it spiritually and physically? One of the greatest examples I see with this in the daily workings of my life is in my wife, Kinsey. Right, we celebrated our 10-year anniversary this past week, and I can't imagine doing ministry and life without her. Um, she really is a solid rock that keeps me going, and so I love you, Kinsey, and happy 10 years, and consider that my Facebook anniversary post, right? I'm not on social media, so I have to use these opportunities, but Kinsey has been long convinced, even before marriage, that God has called her to full-time motherhood and homekeeping. But we live in a day and age that doesn't value such a calling necessarily. Many people think this is a, a cop-out of doing real work. And if you think that, stay at home with your kids for a week and tell me it's not work. And listen, vacations don't count. Y'all do that once a year. I'll go on vacation with my kids. No, you have to take their hygiene and their health seriously. You have to care about their education. You have to feed them truth uh, for learning and for faith. Right? That's work. Right? That's work. Vacations don't count. The work of her heart and her hands is her home, her family, and her church. She provides for our home in all respects. She nurtures our children. She cooks and cleans and provides and cares for and entertains and looks after our home and family in amazing physical and spiritual capacities. Is it useful? Obviously. Silly question. <clears throat> her work is essential because if she wasn't doing it, the kids would end up in DCS or we'd have to pay somebody else to do it. It's obviously useful. Right? And it frees me up to do so much work on behalf of this place and my family in unique ways. What does she have as a, as a result? She has a unique depth of relationship with her kids. She has the love and respect of her husband. She's available to do ministry at the church or personal ministry pretty much any time. She has a rapport with people around her because even, through, even though progressive culture criticizes this lifestyle... All who truly see her in action respect her for it. How does she share it? Kind of, we've already answered that, haven't we? In every way it is shared. Now, I say this as an example, first of all, to honor all of you who work so hard and diligently and you never see a paycheck. You stay-at-home moms. Keep doing what you're doing. Retirees, use your freedom to work for the Lord. Students, you don't get a paycheck more than likely. It doesn't mean that you can't work unto the Lord in your schoolwork. Those of you who are currently unemployed for whatever reason, you've got work to do. The Lord needs you. This place needs you. So kudos to you guys and the Lord's blessing to you for working when you don't receive a paycheck. And for all of us other people who receive a paycheck, moms and dads alike, we need to understand that whatever form of work our work is, because of Christ, your work can be a vibrant avenue of worship to God, your creator. It can be. I met with a man this past week. He works a secular job, makes great money, loves his family. He wants to use his money for the Lord. He wants to use his time for the Lord. 
He's really not different than any normal person, but our conversation was actually very unique. Because not too often do I have men like this meeting with me, making sure FBN will have room for his service and investment. Usually FBN offers a lot and people dabble. Rarely is someone looking at this place and saying, I want to go deeper. I love those conversations. But they're rare, I'll be honest with you. But the point I say that, it, the, the reason I say that is this. You don't have to be a pastor for every ounce of your primary purpose in work to be to serve God. That can be you. That can be the whole reason of your work is to worship God. That's the physical side. Let's think about the spiritual side for a second. Let's take purity for example. You guys might notice I, <clears throat> I use a lot of references to, to purity, especially to young people, because it's, if not the top, in the top three of most relevant issues. So I'll always appeal to these examples to, to encourage young people towards this. But think about purity, for example. Do you think keeping your sexual purity as a young person in today's world is easy? No. Giving into it is very easy. We all know that. Keeping it is not. It's very, very hard. And so, young people, I want to challenge you to think about this. How much work are you willing to do to preserve yourself in a useful way so that you will have something of value to share with someone else in marriage? Do you see how everything Paul said applies to that as well? And this really goes out to any sinful place in our life. Does working against sin, doing battle against sin come easy to you? Giving into it, it's easy. We all know that. It's in our nature. How hard are you willing to work? What are you willing to sacrifice so that you have something of value to share with others? You're tired of this anger issue, and so now you're ready to take it on with the Lord. You're going to work against your anger, so now you can finally share some peace and unity with people that you love. You're going to work against your pride issue so that you can share humility with others, and so people will want to pursue you once again. You're going to work against your worry and your anxiety so you can share with people healthy relationship that does not require them walking on eggshells every time they're around you. You're going to work against being busy and busier and busier so you can share yourself with your family and your church and the lost in your immediate experience in ways that you've never been able to do before for the Lord. So many people think they're working God's way because they work 60 hours a week and they take every uh, uh, weekend job they can. You're just chasing rats. You have a family, you have a church, you have the lost in your immediate presence who don't get any of you. You have sin in your life that you're being passive about and others are suffering for it. We could go on a whole other sermon right now and talk about all the things that Scripture says on how we are to work against sin in our lives. <clears throat> Matthew 5, Jesus says if your hand causes you to sin or your eye causes you to sin, what? Cut it off or gouge it out. That's brutal language. In Hebrews 12, it says, You have not yet resisted sin to the point of shedding your blood. 1 Peter 4 says that suffering in the body is necessary to be done with sin. Listen, if you're serious about that sinful issue, you're tired of praying about it, and you've been praying about it for 30 years, but you've never done any work, listen, the Bible calls you to shed some blood over it. Right? To go to war with it. It's going to hurt a little bit because anything you invest in for that length of time Sin or not is going to hurt when you try to carve it out of your life. But that's exactly what he calls us to do. Are we willing to take the risk? Are we willing to uh, put that cost on display? Are we willing to take that sacrifice 
for the sake of fulfillment in the Lord. And listen, we're talking about putting on work. We're also talking about taking off stealing. This version of stealing that goes with this, when we refuse to work against sin in our lives, we're robbing the cross of grace, its power to work in us. That's what we're stealing. My prayer today is that we would be confronted by God's word to take seriously our own spiritual work as well as our physical work. Are you conscious and proactive against the sin in your life? Seeking useful ways to do some real work in those areas so that you can worship God better, serve others better, family, church, the lost around you. Do you consider your work an avenue of worship? I pray you know at the end of the day that you can. You can. He's given that to you in the work of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know, too, that you have a pastoral staff and a leadership team that knows very well what it means to work but without godly intent and godly worship. At least I speak on behalf of myself. Right? It's easy to do a Bible study or even to preach or even to play drums or even to do any of the other ministry-minded things that we do. But God's absent. You might be edified, hopefully, but for me, it's empty. We know what it's like. So we seek the scriptures daily in regards to it. And we would love to do this with you as well. To discover a biblical path to making your work an act of worship. And to do real, useful work against sin in your life. We're imperfect and we're sinful just like you. We need to come together and work on these things. Because listen, the ultimate work's been done. We understand that Jesus has done the ultimate work by conquering sin and death on the cross. Without that, we wouldn't even have a chance. But because of his ultimate work, our physical work can be redeemed and our spiritual work can be empowered by him. Praise his name. Let's pray. Lord, would you use your word to convict where necessary, to move us towards deeper understanding of your grace and love that can be experienced in work. God, would you use your word to draw us into uh, a deeper understanding of just your blessing for those who have jobs, God, that they actually have a job, to praise you for those jobs. For any of us who has access to to work, experience any physical blessing, God, would you give us an attitude of gratefulness God, for the many in here who who shrug off work and they leave the hard work to other people, God, they're missing out on something wonderful that you have for them. Would you convict them of that this morning? For the many people who work diligently and never receive a paycheck, Lord, would you bless them today and just honor them, God, for for their understanding of of godly work. God, however you decide to use this message to to speak to us, would you use your word to uh, speak to us truly and deeply in our unique circumstances. God, uh, make us workers for the kingdom of God. Let us not build up our own selves, but build up what you have given us um, to give to others, God, for your kingdom and for the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. We're going to go into a time of just personal reflection as we usually do. There's going to be a few questions on the screen uh, for you to consider. Um, Ask yourselves these questions. Let the Lord speak into your heart in regards to work. Do whatever he tells you to do. This time's yours.